Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then we talk about it. This is page 336. The innkeeper slid a bowl of soup toward Chronicler. What's this then? The scribe gave the innkeeper a sly look. Cobb's telling us about Quoth's trial in Imra, he said, a hint of smugness in his voice. Don't you remember? He started the story last night, but only made it halfway through. Now, Cobb glared around, as if daring them to interrupt. It was a tight spot. Quoth knew if he was found guilty, they'd string him up and let him hang. Cobb made a gesture to one side of his neck, like he was holding a noose, tilting his head to the side. But Quoth had read a great many books when he was at the university, and he knew himself a trick. Old Cobb stopped to take a forkful of pie and closed his eyes for a moment as he chewed. Oh, Lord and Lady, he said to himself, that's a proper pie. I swear it's better than me mam used to make. She always skint on the sugar. He took another bite, a blissful expression spreading over his weathered face. So Quoth knew a trick? Chronicler prompted. What? Oh, Cobb seemed to remember himself. Right, you see, there's two lines in the Book of the Path, and if you can read them out loud in the old Tima only priests know, then the Iron Law says you get treated like a priest. That means a Commonwealth judge can't do a damn thing to you. If you read those lines, your case has to be decided by the church courts. Old Cobb took another bite of pie and chewed it slowly before swallowing. Those two lines are called the hempen verse, because if you know them, you can keep yourself from getting strung up. The church courts can't hang a man, you see. What are the lines? Basked asked. I dearly wish I knew, Old Cobb said mournfully, but I don't speak Tima. Quoth didn't know it himself, but he memorized the verse ahead of time. Then he pretended to read it, and the Commonwealth Court had to let him go. Quoth knew he had two days until a Telen justice could make it all the way to Amory, so he set about learning Tema. He read books and practiced for a whole day and a whole night, and he was so powerful smart that at the end of his studying he could speak Tema better than most folk who've been doing it their whole lives. Then on the second day before the justice showed up, Quoth mixed himself a potion. It was made out of honey and a special stone you find in a snake's brain and a plant that only grows at the bottom of the sea. When he drank the potion, it made his voice so sweet, anyone who listened couldn't help but agree with anything he said. So when the justice finally showed up, the whole trial took only 15. Some things, because the page is over. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. This is a this is quite the potion. A, a stone you find in a snake and... What? Now, <laughs> hang on a second. Uh, plot hole. Uh, if he's got a potion that makes everyone believe him, why did he need to learn Tima? Well, maybe it needs some, like, chivying along. It's like this, the first level spell, like, charm person. It can't make you, like, compel people, but it makes them more disposed to listen to you. So maybe he also had to learn Tima, but the potion is like a, a boost. Is Tima Temic? Yeah. Like, I think that it's always interesting to try and tease out what details in the story are are factual and what Cobb is, you know, and what are, like, totally fictional. So, yeah, so, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think the actual language is Tima. I think it's old Temic, right? But but Cobb doesn't know that. And we already know that Quoth does know a little bit of old Temic, right? Like, he does actually know that already in the... in the narrative sure but i i kind of think that all this stuff about the hempen verse is not true and it's just embellishment for the story because what we do hear from quoth you know if it's to be believed is that there were 
you know, over 40 letters of testimony read. It was tedious. Arwell and Elk Sadal spoke on his behalf. They wrote letters. Um, I think this was just a trial. I think in real life, the real story was it was just a tedious trial. And what has been spun out from it is that he learned Tima in two days and found this this verse that forces you to get tried by a different justice. Because that's none of that is what Quoth mentions in his version of the story. And it certainly sounds like it was a long trial. 40 testimonies. If I may, my reading of it is slightly different. I think the kernel of truth here is that Quoth did defend himself and learn some kind of legal precedent that would get him out of the the jam he's in. And maybe it was a precedent that he found in old Temek, the same way that like a lot of legal principles in our uh, legal system are like in Latin. But I don't think that he like, that it's like a magic password you get to get treated like a priest, you know? I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it was something a little more mundane than that. I have a quick correction coming from the chat. And that is that, so it's, it is Tema. It's not old Temek because Chronicler, so Patrick writes in to say Chronicler asks him in the beginning if he really learned Tema in a day. Quoth says it was a day and a half without sleep. Uh, also from the Kingkiller Chronicles wiki, Tema is a child language of Temek. It is the language of the Emir before the Aturan Empire had fallen. Cool. Well, I, I wonder if Quoth is ribbing, ribbing him though. Like... I mean, I guess it makes no difference either way, which is why this section isn't actually covered in the book as part of the story, because it probably doesn't actually matter what went down and how it went down. All that matters is that it did happen and it'll probably pay off later. But I wonder if Quoth is like, yeah, sure, I did learn it and it was a day and a half, you know, but I didn't sleep. But like if he's just kind of massaging the story because he's teasing Chronicler a bit. As we know, Quoth benefits when people misunderstand or believe the stories about him, right? So why would he correct the record well i mean then that begs the question why is he telling chronicler his version of events um Indeed. but i i also think that this story is important to set up what quoth does in the next few pages which is kind of give chronicler a taste of his own medicine and make up a bunch of bunk about a mythical chronicler figure to sort of illustrate like this is what happens when someone makes up a story about you based on like a kernel of a true thing. And this is how wildly it can get spun out of control. So maybe that's proof that the whole thing about the Tema in two days is wildly out of, out of the depth of the real story. Yeah. But I don't think that's incongruent with my reading of it, that he did discover some kind of legal precedent and that got, Oh yeah. I think that's, I think that, I mean like whatever it was he did, it was sure. It was very, very clever. And I also wouldn't be surprised if Rothis wrote the whole sequence and then went, Oh wait, I actually, this doesn't add anything to the, Mm -hmm. to the novel. Yeah, we've got plenty of sequences of Quoth being clever. We don't need one more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think it serves to remind us, like, obviously we jump back into the interlude, which is a good place to go. And it's also a bit of a break between the university and him leaving the university. But it also reminds us that this is a story and we're being told the story by a character in the story and that there may be some reasons that the character may want us to hear or take things a certain way. Hmm. Uh, I do wonder if Amory, because Chronicler says Imra and Cobb doesn't correct himself later. He says, he still says Amory. So I wonder if Amory is meant to indicate Cobb's dialect that he pronounces him. Like he knows the name of the place is Imra, but his pronunciation of it is Amory. 
Maybe I think it's that Cobb doesn't want to correct the deep. Like Cobb has his version and his version is as far as he's concerned, the right version and he won't accept any other versions. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing to point out here is that like Imra still exists and is a place people go. Like, it's not like it's a place out of a fairy tale. So they're like, well, it's probably more meaningful to Cobb if it is a mysterious place that nobody goes. It's a far off land you haven't heard of because it's called Amory. But like, what is it? Is but it everyone, Imra? No, no, Imra is just a place you can go. This was an Amory. But everyone in the story knows, like everyone listening to the story knows that the university is a real place that exists in the real town of Imra. Like, Do they? Yes. Why would they know that? Because like they, 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 they talked about it. Like they talked about, like I was there in the place where the cobblestones got cracked. Like that's in Imra. No, a traveler did. All the locals, did no, their world is no bigger than their field and this inn. Everywhere in the world might as well be Amory. Might as well be the Fae because they they live and die in this little, in this little town. You both make reasonable arguments. Thanks, we Jordana. Worry about who's right right now? Well, I think we all know who's right. Yeah, me. <laughs> Is there anything else we want to talk about on this page? I'm out of notes. All right. Well, then let's have a letter. Yes. This letter is from Patrick Notrothis, who writes on page 316, Masters and Naming. Hello, pagers. On this page, Jeremy insists that all of the Masters know at least one name. He thinks Kilvin says something to that effect. There is no evidence that all the Masters have at least one name. After the fire in the fishery, Kilvin reveals that Elodin and, quote, one or two others at the university know the name of fire. Dal tells us that he knows the name of fire and one other name. We have no evidence that any masters other than Dal and Elodin know any names. Thanks for all your work on the podcast. Signed, Patrick, not Rothfuss. I mean, I think that what you just said could just as easily be used as evidence to support my assertion that, that all the masters do know at least one name. So... That's not how evidence works, Jeremy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Facts are just things you use to prove one side of a story or another. <laughs> they don't like have a moral, uh, like a you know, like they don't take sides. No, but this would not hold up in court. Like this evidence does not, beyond a reasonable doubt, indicate that every right. master knows a name. But a court, like a court case, is not about presenting the facts and then asserting which of those facts is true. It's about twisting those facts to suit your argument. Like that's how a lawyer wins a case. Here are the facts. Here's how, here's, here are the facts and here is how those facts make me right. And you wrong. So I can do whatever I want with facts. Uh, I guess we're in a a precarious time of uh, human history where (laughs) facts aren't really as valuable or as powerful as uh, they maybe were in in the past. Like that's why you can't fact check like a right wing psycho because like either they'll assert that your facts are made up or they'll twist your facts to suit their narrative. Yeah. Well you can fact check them, but they won't care. It won't change their opinion. And it doesn't change anyone else's opinion either. It's true. It's true. It certainly won't change yours. No. Thank you, Patrick. You are a modern day Daniel Dale fact checking (laughs) the nonsense that dribbles out of this character's mouth. A thankless task, but someone must do it. And listeners, you can fact check us tomorrow on another page. Uh, the wind. wind.